0: In this episode, we're talking about how our natural tendencies and our values can help us manage crisis moments and navigate a disruption, such as what we're going through right now. My name is Lou Blazer. You're listening to Second Breaks. This is episode 125. Hello, hello, my friend. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Second Breaks. And I do want to say that it is uh, what is today. Tuesday, April 7th, 2020, as I sit behind the microphone and record this intro. You know, I haven't been out of the apartment for over 10 days now, except for my morning runs, which I'm still trying to keep up with. I do that first thing in the morning, though, just as the sun rises, so I hardly ever see anyone that early in the morning. Plus, I'm a very good social distancer. But other than those morning runs, I haven't really been elsewhere. Um, I think I am due to go to the grocery in a day or two so that means that I'm gonna have to put on a mask which is now recommended by the CDC I also use latex gloves when I'm doing the grocery, uh, partly because I find that when I'm wearing latex gloves, it serves as a reminder for me not to touch my face when I'm at a, out in a boat and not able to wash my hands. So it's more of a reminder not to touch my face more than anything else. Uh, and of course, I'm going to keep at least six feet away from people. So I was just thinking about all these kind of things that we need to sort of prepare for every time we need to leave the house or run errands and how it's a really like a weird experience that we're having, isn't it? Um Back in December when we were, 2019 I mean, when we were finalizing our new year resolutions and coming up with our vision boards, who would have thought that this is how this year is gonna turn out, right? But this is where we are and As much as the world seems intent on disrupting everything, there are a few things that we can count on to help us get through this madness, and two of those things are our personal values and our natural preferences. Uh, Basically, what makes us who we are, right? Um, I heard someone last week say that during times of crisis, we tend to fall back on our natural tendencies, which is totally understandable because all of our internal systems are fully occupied just dealing with what's going on. So of course, we would fall back on what comes naturally for us. I invited Alethea Cheng Fitzpatrick back on the show to explore this. Alethea runs Co-Creating Inclusion, which is a diversity, equity, and inclusion consulting firm that's focused on helping companies drive equity and shift culture. Alicia and I talked about how being self-aware and just really understanding our uh, natural preferences can help us manage our frustrations and anxiety levels. Because a lot of us are being asked to do things that are outside of our comfort level or really truly things that we would normally do. So of course, anxiety spikes up, frustration levels spike up. So of course, we get anxious and we get frustrated a lot more these days. And so we talked about how being self-aware, knowing our natural tendencies and preferences can help us manage through all those spikes of frustration and angst. We also talked about how we can lean on our personal values to not only manage ourselves, but also, and particularly if you are in a supervisory or managerial level, if you are managing teams or maybe leading a community, how personal values can help you manage the people that you work with during this disruptive and, you know, obviously, angst-filled days. So just one other thing that I wanted to say here before I transition to my chat with Alethea. As I was editing this episode, it struck me how much of her values influence everything that she said to me during our conversation. So often values can tend to be these nice-to-hear words that are abstract and filed away somewhere in the back of our minds, but don't really influence our behavior or guide our decisions. And as I worked on this episode, I I, I really noted how Alethea is an example for me of someone who lives and works with her values, uh, very much active and front and center. Um, anyway, I just thought I'd share that behind the scenes observation with you. Uh, let me step out of the way and um, transition to my chat with Aletheia. Uh, we start with uh, her describing the work that she does today.
1: So I'm Aletheia Chang Fitzpatrick. I'm principal and founder of Co-Creating Inclusion, which is a diversity, equity and inclusion consulting firm. And so we help companies uh, drive equity and shift culture. And we do that through uh, assessments, we do discovery, we take a look at what the current culture is, often through surveys and interviews and focus groups. Uh, We then will do workshop facilitation, and then from that, gather a lot of data, a lot of qualitative data, especially, and uh, because part of what we do in our workshops is get everyone engaged in the process of co-creating inclusion. And from all of the brainstorming and the data and the ideas and the voices, we make recommendations and then take a company through DEI strategic
0: planning. And I'm not sure if it's part of the work that you do today, but I know that um, the last time you were on the show, for example, we talked about Myers-Briggs Type indicator, the MBTI, because I think you are uh, a licensed, uh, whatever we call.
1: Yes, I am an MBTI certified practitioner. I'm also a certified leadership coach. Yes.
0: Time out, time out. I was asking her about MBTI, Myers Briggs Type Indicator. This is a personality inventory developed by a mother and daughter team, Catherine Briggs and Isabel Myers. It Consists of um, analyzing our preferences over four dichotomies, which results in 16 distinctive personality types. I am an INTJ, for example, I for introvert, N for intuition, T for thinking, and J for judging which, hey, does not mean I'm judgmental. <laughs> so anyway, I've linked to an MBTI resource on the show notes as well as the previous episode where I discussed this very thing with Alethea. So actually,
1: Maya's breaks... Um... The, the Myers-Briggs work is very relevant, I found, to diversity, equity, and inclusion in that, in the way, at least in the way that I use it. So I really use Myers-Briggs as a tool for understanding ways in which we've been socialized um, versus the way, how we naturally energize. And it's a really good way of sort of, under, you know, unpacking where there might be Gaps between how we think we're supposed to be in order to be successful versus what actually we are naturally, you know, our personality is naturally designed to to do, and so, it, so you know, inclusion is really when you can bring your full self to bear on your work, and so. Knowing, understanding yourself through tools like Myers Briggs can really help with that, and it can
0: also help with creating inclusion for others as well. So, and so, of course, our conversation today for the listeners, we are recording this on April third, so um, we're right in the middle of, uh, well, the beginning, however you want to call it, of this weird thing that's happening to us uh, around the world, really, wherever we are, wherever we live, and so it's very, it's very weird. No one's been through anything like this before. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of anxiety that's happening. And um, and some of them are panic-driven. Some of them are real because some of the repercussions are already being experienced by many, many people. But before we go there, I want to ask you, because you live in New York. How are you? So... Um... So I'm okay.
1: We're okay. I have two boys who are eight and 11. So and my husband, so we're all at home. And we've been this is the end of our third week, all being at home. I guess a funny question. at these, During these current times, how are you? Because it's sort of like, well, how is anyone really like no one is really no one like what does okay really mean? Um, and I also have been very aware of the privileges that my family has. That means that we are, you know, that means that we are relative to the overall situation. We are okay. We currently are all healthy as far as we know. None of us have any symptoms. Um, we live in, uh, you know, our space is big enough that we can all be in different rooms. We have a backyard. Um which is a huge privilege right now, I think for the kids to be able to have a safe space where they can go outside and jump around and play a little bit. So, um, and, and my husband and I both have the kinds of jobs that we can work from home. You know, I saw a picture of the two train that is still completely crowded because, you know, with those folks who are having to, to, who can't socially distance? Uh, who you know? Who have to in order to still survive or keep their jobs going? So I I'm very aware that this is impacting people differently. The inequities that we already had in our society are being exacerbated. Um, at the same time, you know, privilege can mitigate some of the impact. It doesn't protect us entirely. And this is a really tough time for everyone. So you know, to be to be really frank, I also like with all of that context, it was also a really tough week for me. And, um, you know, I've been thinking about how as women or as the caregivers in our family, we are socialized to do a lot of sort of invisible emotional labor to, to keep our families happy and healthy and safe. And that has certainly been exacerbated right now. So, um, you know, I think my husband and my boys had a better week this week, and I think that I kind of, put, I kind of took one for the team and, pay, and like paid the price for that because I realized my kids need more support in navigating the work they're being asked to do online, and my husband is on calls, you know, ten hours a day for his job, and so it fell to me to figure out how to provide some support for my kids, basically administrative support. Like I feel like I'm now like my kid's administrative assistant, like telling them, you know, helping them get on the calls they need to get on, setting up video chats with their friends, making checklists so they can find their assignments online. I mean, like it's the kind of work that is, it's very draining for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I've been really thinking about that. And this kind of keys into actually the conversation that I know you and I want to have about um, sort of MBTI. But for me, MBTI, like knowing your personality type is about knowing what energizes you. And so what I realized is like the work that I've been doing this week is really draining for me. And I've been really kind of reflecting on like, why is this so draining? Because the checklists are not, it they are time consuming, but it's not my whole day. But I think for me, it's very draining to sort of comply with a system that doesn't completely make sense. So, you know, it's it's a sort of a jumping through hoops kind of thing. And so our teachers are being asked to, you know, for those of us with kids, and I think it varies from school to school, but a lot of teachers are being asked to kind of recreate what they were going to do at school to be done at home. And it just, it just doesn't really make sense right now. It doesn't translate well. People have different learning styles, but also like, is it really important right now that my son understands how to calculate the area of a rectilinear shape? Like it just doesn't feel, it doesn't feel important right now. And, um, you know, I, what I think is important is all of our mental health. Like this is an incredibly stressful situation for everyone. And if I'm struggling helping my kids keep up, like how are the less resourced families coping with this? And I really, you know, so that's just something something that I've been really grappling with. And what I realized is what energizes me because I actually had the opportunity to have a conversation with some of the leaders at uh, my kids' school today and to sort of give them some feedback and and some of my perspective about what I think is really needed right now. And that felt so good. And what what energizes me is being able to impact change at a community or group or organizational level. I mean, that is something I have discovered for myself professionally. Um for a little while, I was focused on doing one-on-one coaching, and while I love coaching, um, I find it much more energizing to do coaching uh, within an organizational context. So I, lo- you know, so I really, for me, I love being able to have that impact at the organizational level. That is something that I've learned about myself. It's something that Myers Briggs helped me learn about myself, and so creating checklists that only benefit my kid. It just feels like such a black hole of energy. But if I can utilize that experience to advocate for something that I hope will be better for everyone, right? That it's not just about what's better for me, um, but that's something that will be what's better for the teachers, what will be better for the families that that are most stretched then by the situation who maybe don't have the time or energy to be able to, you know, Analyze what is not working and articulate what might work better. Like that is something that I can do. So it's always important to for me to speak for my own healing, but also center on those most pushed to the margins. Um, but when I can do
0: that, that is just so much more energizing. You actually touched on something that I... It was something that I heard someone say a couple of days ago and it's been in the back of my mind and I wanted to chat with you about it today that she said that when we are stressed um, and during times of crisis, we naturally fall back on our natural tendencies or preferences. And I could I could understand why, right? Because... Um, all our systems are occupied elsewhere, and so it's just your natural way of doing things. And so I was thinking to myself that it helps, I think, and, you know, chime in here if you agree or disagree, that it helps when you are self-aware because it, for example, the example that you gave, um, you're feeling sort of... uh disconnect or you're feeling it's heavy but because you're self-aware you're able to say what is it about this and you're able to turn things around but when we're not aware we're just frustrated it does that make sense to you
1: that completely makes sense and you know i'll be honest it took me a minute like i it really took me a few days of sort of hashing this out with different friends with different colleagues and Facebook posts I've been sort of crowdsourcing like what's working for people in online school and I've just been really you know I've been you know and a lot of people have been telling me a lot of my friends with privilege have been saying just ditch it it doesn't really matter and I said you know I've been thinking like why is it so hard for me to just ditch online school right I realized that for me I want to like I want I feel a responsibility to uh, where I can try and change the system and not just ditch it. Like ditching it to me is, um comes from a pace of privilege, right? Not everyone can just say they just want to ditch it. And I feel like by sort of forcing myself to work through what has been expected in the way that's been designed is giving me the information to then say like, this is not working. If I just ditched it, I would, I would just be taking myself out of the picture. I wouldn't be able to participate in the community. And, you know, it took me a few days to be like, why am I holding on to this? I learn a lot from people's responses. So when I post on, you know, when I post on social media and different people respond different ways, it really helps me to be like, okay, so I don't agree with that. But I do agree with this. This is like, why is this pushing? Why is this pushing my button? Or why doesn't this sit well with me? And it really, you know, as an extrovert, it really helps me to process with others, and be able to then identify for myself, Oh, okay, this is why it's not sitting well with me. This is why it's draining. It's really about being very, being reflective, and being able to sort of process what's going on and understand and make sense of it. And I think under trauma and stress it's really hard to create that time and space to do it, um which is why it's much so much harder to do right now. But I have found that it's it has really been worth creating a little bit of space for me to be able to do that cuz ultimately that's going to save me time because once I figured out why it's so draining and what I, how I can shift my mindset around it. So if I think of these checklists and this participation, not as like something draining that I have to do for my son, but almost like me, like being a, like testing out the system so that I can give feedback that might be beneficial to the whole community. Like that just shifts my whole mindset around it. And it can even make, and I've always said this about Myers-Briggs and what energizes you and your zone of genius is another concept that I use. Um, you know, your zone of genius being the work that you do that creates the most impact with the least amount of effort. So it's related to to energy, right? Um, what I've always said, and it's still true now, is that we can, some, knowing what our zone of genius is, we can even shift things that are not in our zone of genius and kind of reframe them to put them in our zone of genius. And so we can actually feel really differently about doing the same tasks that in a with a different mindset, felt very draining. And that's always very remarkable to me when when I can do that. And I think that um, for those of us who can, now is the time, and we really need everyone in their zone of genius creating the most impact that they can without burning themselves out so
0: we can just get through this current. Global crisis. Uh, there are all kinds of advice out there about how we can navigate or how we can manage stress and anxiety and and this incredible uh, pressure that's on us, on every single one of us. Um, but as you were talking, I realized that it's it's actually what works for you might not work for me. Yes, exactly. Right? And so it, it's it's actually that's why it's it's even more important to understand what makes you, you, or, you know. I think this is so,
1: this is so, so important, Lou, because I think often when we have privilege, we also assume that works, there's a a assumption that we represent the norm. And so what works, there's an assumption that what works for us works for everybody, or that everyone is having the same experience that we are having. And that's why, like, I think that the, diversity, the lens of diversity, equity and inclusion and understanding that different people can have a completely different experience of the same thing is so important right now because we are all, um, there are commonalities, but there are also huge differences in how we're all responding and reacting and the different things that we are experiencing. And it's really so important now more than ever, I think, to understand that, um, yeah, what works for you what works for me doesn't necessarily work for everyone. But I think if we can all share some of the things that are working for us without that assumption that they work for everyone, it could be really helpful because you might just like, someone might be listening to what I'm talking about and be like, oh, that really wouldn't work for me. But, But if I did it this way, like we can get ideas or it can really help to, it can, at least for me, it helps. Hearing what's working for others is really helpful because, you know, some of it I'm like, no, that wouldn't work for me. But some of it, it does give you ideas or you're like, well, that wouldn't work. But if I did this, you know, if I adjusted it in this way, that might work. And that is
0: that is helpful. But I like the question that you asked also is, you know, what about this thing? It feels heavy instead of just accepting that it's frustrating or it's heavy or complaining about this. You know, what's being um, what's being imposed on you by either uh, in your case the school system that's also trying their, you know, they're also in tremendous disruption. They're also probably just... Figuring things out on the fly, right? And so, um, and so instead of just saying, "I hate this. This is frustrating. This isn't gonna work for me," but just asking, "What is it about this that's heavy?" and then just keep asking that and finding your way through that, I think is very helpful.
1: Yeah, I think that's helpful. Along with the right with the lens of who is struggling the most in this, so that uh, so because I, I mean. Our school, as as frustrated as I am with the whole sort of construct of the idea of trying to replicate school and the curriculum at home right now, like, that's not the fault of the administration. Like, that's our system. That's our culture. That's what, you know, DOE is asking for. That's what many parents are expecting. Like, the, there's a there are all kinds of systemic reasons why this is what we're all trying to do. But like, you know, our school and our teachers have been amazing. Like they, I don't know how they're doing it because a lot of them have their own kids and families at home and they are, they have approached this with such energy and love and care. And they're, they I mean, they've been asked to do the impossible. We're all being asked. <laughs> we're all being asked to do the impossible. And so, I think that that is also an important piece of the picture to consider. And really, I think I feel like what we're really seeing come to the fore in this whole thing is that there are like we are so socialized to think at the individualistic level that we're all so it's so much it's so embedded in our culture here in the US to take care of ourselves and sort of to not worry about anyone else. And that's kind of what got us in this mess. In the first place is, you know, profit for a few off of the backs of many. And that's how this, you know, this country was founded in genocide and slavery and colonialism. Like this is the found, this is how our country was founded. This is how our economy was built based on that premise of a few people profiting off everyone else and that's how we got here in the first place and we see a lot of well-meaning people still following that kind of model of like what do I need to take care of myself and not really thinking about everyone else like, I mean I think it's incredible like the thing that blows my mind is like whenever have we had the opportunity to save lives simply by staying at home yeah right exactly whenever exactly. do we get like I feel like I feel like we really have that opportunity, but not everyone is seeing that that way. A lot of, you know, there are people who are like, well, I'm fine. I'm not at risk. So, you know, I'm going to go out, right? Yeah.
0: And on the one hand, it is so simple of an ask. How? What else is simpler than stay home for the benefit of others, right? At the same time, it's also incredibly difficult for a (laughs) lot, a lot of people to do that, right? And so It it, it is, like I said, it's like we are in this um we're all going to have stories about this when this is over about how this once in a lifetime hopefully once in a lifetime event um affected us or how we navigated through it and the stories that we're going to tell
1: just i want to add one thing to the stay home uh Mandate or entreaty to just recognize that for some people that's not a choice. They have to go to work. They have to be on that crowded train. So, um, I think it's the people right. The people that have that choice should be making it. Not everyone has that choice. And I think we really need to be thinking about how more people can have that choice.
0: We're going to get back to Alicia in a second. I just wanted to tell you a little bit about the other second breaks. The newsletter. Just like this podcast, the Second Breaks newsletter is all about information that helps you navigate a changing world of work. Every Sunday, a new issue is published with relevant and timely insights to help you frame your next steps and inform your next move. Now, especially in light of the situation that we're all in right now, where everything is getting disrupted and there are lots of uncertainties, we need information to make decisions about how best to proceed. But here's the thing, though. If we were swimming in information and data before, it's even worse now. We're past information overload. We are in information exhaustion, and it's getting harder and harder to find the signal from all the noise. So this is the space where the Second Breaks newsletter steps in, and I consider this really my most important job right now, to do the research and deliver the most relevant and timely and reliable information available out there so you can make the right decisions for yourself and your career. So I encourage you to sign up for the Second Breaks newsletter. It's free. You can go to secondbreaks.com forward slash newsletter to sign up. Before I leave the MBTI topic, I just wanted to ask you one other question about it. Is that there is there has always been a sort of common uh, and I don't know, maybe this is just in the corporate setting, <laughs> but there there is this common narrative out there that you want to round out your edges. So you're not too this or too that. You're not too extroverted. You're not too introverted. I hear Maybe I'm speaking from experience because I'm very introverted. And so I learned to be extroverted in a corporate setting, for example. So there's always this narrative of rounding out our edges and, you know, but in the context of what's happening right now. So on the one hand, there's a part of my brain that goes, uh, maybe, I should really be more concerned about rounding out my edges so as not to offend other people and, and be more empathetic to what other people are going through. But at the same time, there's also a part of my brain that goes, is this really the time for me to be rounding <laughs> out my my edges and my preferences? So I wanted to ask you how you feel about that.
1: Yes, let's, let's talk about normal, non-global pandemic circumstances. Um. I I don't like to frame it as people should round out their edges. Um, I think that that is a call to assimilate in order to fit in. So assimilation is different to inclusion. So inclusion is where you have a sense of belonging and that you're valued for who you are. Assimilation is that you kind of trade in who you are in order to sort of buy that sense of belonging. And so I think that sort of corporate ask of people to, you know, the introverts need to learn to be more extroverted in order to fit in, like that ask is really about assimilation. So I am not really ever for framing it exactly in that way. I what we do know though is that there are benefits to what I would call flexing. So flexing out of your preference, there are benefits to doing that. Um just, just there are benefits to assimilating. Like I always feel like there's there's a cost and there's a benefit. I think that when we can be more, when we are aware of how we energize, then we can make more intentional choices about when we're going to flex. And we can at least note to ourselves that we are flexing. And so it is going to be more tiring. And so maybe we need to build in more time for recovery after activities that we're flexing, where we're flexing more. Um Right now is not the time to feel the pressure to round out your edges or a flex just to just to get along and just to fit in. I think that there still may be a place for making a conscious decision. Like I um like for me, so I'm an ENFP and so the N is the intuition and it's that big picture thinking and um the S is the sensing, which is much more the concrete details and the more linear thinking. So when I'm making a checklist for my son to navigate online school, like I am being forced to flex out of that big picture creative thinking and go into the S of the detailed linear, right? And so that is partly why it's so draining for me. But I have seen my son is so much happier with that support and that help, And so it is, so I'm making a conscious decision that even though this is really draining for me right now, I'm going to do it because it's really helping him. And so I think there is always a place for that. But like you said, the awareness of it, like it's one thing to just feel like it's draining. It's really helpful to be like, oh, it's draining and it's because of this. Then at least you're not kind of, I don't know, the awareness around it, I think, um, can really help like i think like acceptance is something i talk a lot about in my work acceptance doesn't mean you have to like it but acceptance is really about confronting the truth and being like this is what it is and these are the things i can't change and so from that place of acceptance not endorsement we can then figure out how to move forward and so i think that um right now there are some things that we may have to do that are out of our zone of genius or out of our preference but being able to have that framework of identifying why can be really helpful. Um, and the other thing I just want to add is that, um, yes, under trauma and stress, sometimes we end up kind of retreating more into our comfort zone and what naturally energizes us. Sometimes, though, in stress, we end up flipping. <laughs> so in Myers-Briggs, I sometimes talk about your your sort of um, less dominant personality traits, being like the backseat drivers that suddenly like have a tantrum and take over. So that's something that can sometimes happen as well. So that's something for people to be aware of and actually figuring out how you can do some activities that are in your preference can be a way of kind of deescalating for yourself and creating more bandwidth and more and more energy. That's The other thing that I heard that was really helpful um so people may or may not be familiar with, uh, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm. There's a pyramid and at the bottom level of the pyramid is like the really basic needs of like food and safety. I forget exactly what's on there, but there's like the very basic needs. And as you go up the pyramid, they they become more sort of um, aspirational and more, more sort of emotional and more spiritual. And so I heard someone say it's like we're all at the bottom of the pyramid right now. And so we need to take care of our basic needs
0: before we can get up the pyramid. Okay, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Who even is this Maslow person? So Abraham Maslow was one of the most influential psychologists of the 20th century. In his seminal paper on human motivation, Maslow describes his hierarchy of needs as being made up of five needs, which are physiological, safety, love, esteem, and self-actualization, arranged in like a, a pyramid. Thing with the physiological needs making up the bottom of the pyramid, um, Maslow describes these needs as being arranged in a hierarchy of prepotency. I love that word, prepotency. In other words, the first level of needs physiological are the most important ones and will monopolize consciousness until they are taken care of. So these needs are things like food, shelter, clothing, water, warmth, etc. So once one level of needs is taken care of, the mind moves on to the next level of needs and so on until self-actualization is reached. So in the show notes, I link to an article discussing Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Cool beans?
1: And so I think for anyone who's listening and thinking about this sort of reflection and analysis and your personality types, and for anyone who feels that that is overwhelming, I just want to validate that that might sound really impossible to do right now. That if you're like really feeling at the end of your rope, there may be more basic self-care or self-care sounds so like it's not even self-care, it's just basic survival, (laughs) that people might need to do first before they can, before they can get to the more reflective piece.
0: So first principle or first order of business is us taking care of ourselves because it's just like in the plane, you put on your oxygen first before you can help other people. Right. And so we first order of business is we take care of ourselves, but, but a lot of people are also managers, team leaders, supervisors so that in addition to managing themselves, they also have to manage other people, you know, and and help them through their own uncertainty and feelings of uncertainty. And so I was wondering, you know, you work a lot with organizations, you work a lot with teams. Um, What tools do you, can you suggest that... I think you you know, but just to be clear to the listeners, by tools I don't necessarily mean apps and and stuff like that, but just like tools, small t, that we can use to sort of navigate through this crazy time that we're in.
1: Yes, so so I have many thoughts about this, and as I've been talking with um, the leadership and HR folks at some of my different client organizations. Um, Some of the things I'm really advocating for is first of all, like this is a time to give your staff grace, to give your team members grace. This is not a time to go into surveillance mode and to ask people to check in or provide a log of how they spent their time and what they're working on. Um, Like this is a global crisis. There is going to be a loss of productivity. And I think that managers um, – like, we need to step out of that relentless push towards productivity and efficiency. Like, it's it's not happening right now. It's not happening. And asking or expecting that of yourself or your team is, is really inhumane right now, I believe. And again, like, different people are at different places with this. And so some people um, – are maybe relatively able to maintain a pretty even, um, level of productivity. I I think definitely if you have people in your family who are sick, or if you have elderly family members or, um, young kids, like the people that have young kids at home, like this is really difficult. Like there is like really, um, You know, my fifth grader can be relatively independent. My third grader can't navigate this stuff by himself. So it is taking a huge amount of time. And then for the younger kids, like the people with toddlers or preschoolers, like it is really not possible to do what is being asked right now, which is work full time and help your kids turn in their assignments and... Um, care for your kids as well. It's just not it's just not possible. So I think this is really a time for leaders and managers to show their team, their staff, grace, and to really, and to really listen. So I think it's a time to get curious and to really ask people, how are you doing? And to really just listen. And sort of what we talked about earlier, recognize that how you're feeling may not be how everyone else is feeling. What's working for you may not be what's working for everyone else. People are dealing with very greatly varying circumstances that you may or may not be aware of. People have um, both physical and mental health conditions that might not be visible, that might be um, putting people more at risk right now. They might be living with an abusive partner or an abusive family member. Um, they might have um, addiction issues that are getting triggered. They're, they might have past traumas that are coming. I mean, like there are all kinds of things that are making this really hard for some people more than others and they're not always visible. And so um, I've really been encouraging leaders, like like the, the and what I'm hearing at, that is working really well, is to really kind of create those inclusive spaces. So I think the organizations that have been working on diversity, equity, inclusion already, I'm seeing are have the tools already and are in a better place to create those spaces. And so what I'm hearing is that um, what's working pretty well is to have team check-ins or all staff check-ins where there isn't a lot on the agenda so maybe you have a few announcements but really no more than like 5 minutes of content you know of content and then really just creating that space for people to check in and share you know voluntarily you know consensually if they want to to share what's going on with them to share some of their challenges you know to also share some wins or what's working for them and I am hearing that staff are really appreciating that. And it's really, it's funny because it's a its a real opportunity to create inclusion in a way that you might not typically do in a normal day. Like people, colleagues don't usually share how they're struggling with their kids, right? But we're all struggling with our kids right now in a way that, you know, in a way that's been exacerbated. And so I'm hearing of, you know, staff check-ins where um, those with kids are, are sort of sharing some of those struggles and I think that's um, for 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 teams and managers and leaders who can create that space for their staff right now. Like that is really going to pay off in terms of morale and engagement and loyalty. Like your staff are going to remember how you made them. Your team is going to remember how um, how they felt, how you, they were treated at this time, and and I do think that that is going to pay off far more than the surveillance like what are you working on like you know all all, that that kind of approach is just gonna push people further to the end of their rope when they're
0: already pretty close to it in the best of times it was and doesn't work it's even worse now One last topic I want to talk to you about is around values. And again, under normal, you know, circumstances or situation, we say you lean on your values. Your values are what's going to guide you. You let your decisions be guided by your values. And I was wondering whether is, is there a place for us to lean on our values in times of crisis or uncertainty? Does it make it harder to lean on our values during times of uncertainty? or crisis? Or is it easier? I don't know, actually, I'm on the fence on this one, because there are days that I find it's easy. And there are days that I find it's hard. So yeah, so I think that so I see
1: values as things that we're really passionate about, and that actually energize us. So I've always seen values as fuel. And um, I think that if if our so, I do think now is time a time to lean on and align with our values, and that if we have selected values that are really do reflect what we truly believe in, they will serve us well. I think that if we, if anyone is finding that their their values are not really working right now, like it's okay to change your like I know it sounds kind of weird, but it's like it's okay like your values may like a like values shift over the course of our careers and our lives, and so I think it's okay if actually. Um, you're realizing that the things that you thought were important that the, and those values like are actually not applying right now, and maybe they yeah. won't apply going forward. So I think that, um, again, it's not the first order of business. The fourth, first order of business is like basic needs and survival. But if if, if you can get yourself to that place where you can sort of get a level above that, um, kind of I think rethinking like either re-engaging with values or maybe rethinking and shifting some of them is a really valuable exercise right now. And um, and I would like to invite everyone to also consider um, the role of diversity, like, div- like a diversity, equity, and inclusion as values that I think are really going to help us get out of this. Like I think that what we're what we're going through right now is a huge, a huge shift, and hopefully some of it is temporary, right? Whatever temporary means, like not forever. But I also think um, things are not just going to snap back to how they were. Um, the impact of this is going to be um, go deep, and I also think you know I don't know that we would even want things to go back to where they were. Because the way things were are what led us to this place in the first place. And I really do think, as we talked about earlier, our systems of oppression, the inequities that have always been baked into our society, are uh, like this idea that we don't have to take care of everyone and that we can each be in it for our own gain, um, you know, at the expense of others, like that is what got us here in the first place. And so I think no matter what our values are, and everyone has different values, I would love to invite everyone to consider diversity and especially equity and inclusion, like really that bringing that lens of um, who is most pushed to the margins and how do we get them what we need? Because if we get them what we need, we are all better off for it. That creates a better world for all of us. And I think... We're seeing that right now. We're seeing that if we had taken care of everyone, just to get on a little bit of a soapbox for a minute, we have 2.3 million prison beds in our country and we have 900,000 hospital beds. So that is a choice that we made as a country. And we're paying the pri- we're going to pay the price for that. And so I think diversity, equity inclusion can be re- a really critical tools for reimagining what our systems, what our society looks like so that everyone can be taken care of um, because then we are all taken care of that. If we're not taking care of everyone, we're actually not taking care of any of us, even though, you know, the billionaires are always going to be, you know, mostly, mostly, mostly okay. So that's a whole other, that's a whole other discussion, but I, I would really, I think this is an op. This is a, I think we have a responsibility right now to, In the midst of all of these shifts for each of us to think about how we can, while we're shifting, shift more towards equity and inclusion.
0: I just wanted to add to that, like I know, for example, as businesses are experiencing the pain, they are looking at their processes and their operations and saying, this is where we have gaps, you know, oh, if because of this decision, that's why we're in this supply chain mess today. So the companies and businesses are having, are doing that kind of analysis to identify the gaps in their businesses so that when, when we get past this and we recover, they are going to fix those quote unquote holes in their processes and operations. So those are operational supply chain, very dollars and cents type of analysis and evaluation. But there is also these other the human side of gaps that we have in our companies, um, in the way that we we have our policies for working with our teams or people, or even just our personal way that we do our businesses or the way that we work on a personal level, right? So we, this is a time I think for us to identify those gaps too and say, oh, you know what, that needs to be adjusted because this this time is emphasizing that there's a gap there (laughs)
1: yeah and i think some of the assumptions that were made before like i i loved i saw you know there's a meme going around of like oh like we're gonna find out like those remote those jobs that we were told couldn't be done remotely we're gonna find out that a lot of them can or even today you know new york city announced they're providing three full meals free for any new yorker and i'm like why can't we do that all the time, right? And I and I know there's a comp. I know there's, there are complexities to that, but like you know, we're only doing it now because more of us are affected, and more of us who have more privilege are affected. But like, doesn't everyone deserve access to to food and to healthcare and all of those things always? You know, so I think, I hope. Like my my hope is that we we can rise as a society we'll see. We'll have to see, right? But I think that, you know, I, I can't say that I'm, you know, I, I can't say like, yes, we are going to rise to this because I'm not, you know, I'm really honestly not sure, but I think that in, if enough of us can, we can emerge out from this and and like, I think we have a responsibility, you know, to those who are going to lose their lives, you know, during this to to learn from it and to create a better a better world
0: exactly Alifia, thank you so much for sh- you know sparing some valuable minutes of your day of your busy days to with me today
1: well thank you so much this is one of the best hours of my day so far so
0: it probably will be
1: like it's just such a pleasure to, to create the space for me as well to, to chat with you i really appreciate it
0: I hope you found this episode useful for the show notes and all the links. Head on over to secondbreaks.com forward slash podcast. Next week, my guest is Brendan Hufford. And we're going to talk about Stoics and Stoicism and what of those principles we can use and apply as we navigate this crazy 2020 and this unprecedented disruption that's happening right now. We're starting with the basic stuff, so even if you're not familiar with Stoicism, you're not going to get lost. Uh, We're also addressing misconceptions about Stoicism, like doesn't it make you cold or unfeeling? or just a morose person to be around with, which is, by the way, so not true. Anyway, tune in next week for that conversation and the best way to not miss that episode and all future episodes is to subscribe to the podcast. You can do that using the whatever app you are using right now to listen to this episode. Or if you happen to be listening to this on the website, uh, right around the audio player, you're going to find some options for podcast now, all season, we're diving into career continuity and resilience. So if you have any questions about this topic, send me an email, and I will do my best to address those in future episodes. One last ask, please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues who may benefit from the conversations that we're having this season. Okie dokie, I'll be back next week. In the meanwhile, be safe, stay home, and continue making your debt, my friend full cool beans.